Complicated. Burdensome. Stressful. Pressure. Impossible. Baffling. Intangible. Alienating. Confusing. Clear. The profound things that Jesus taught are at their core clear and simple. Centered around three key relationships. Up, in, and out. Up. A relationship with God. Grow it. Give it time and attention. Give Him time and attention. Because He first loved us. He is worth it. He is first. In. It's us. You. Me. All of us. Together. Not the programs. Not the building. Not the schedule. We. All of us. Are the church. And they will know us by our love. Our love for one another. So get your hands dirty. Serve. Challenge. Build up. Go deep. Go deeper. Together. Live in community. So they will know us by our love. Out. Look around you. The mission is here. And here. And here. So go. Wherever there's brokenness. Uncertainty. Despair. Indifference. Wherever people don't know the love of Jesus. With God, we can be restorers. Offering faith, hope, and love. This is our mission, to go. So go. Up and out. God. Community. Mission. Align your focus around these three relationships. And grow. Grow as a follower of Christ. Grow with us. Here you'll see that nobody is perfect. Everyone's welcome. And anything is possible. So thank you all. That was super sweet and unexpected. And I don't really know how I'm going to be able to talk for the next 30 minutes or so. But that really, thank you very much. Um, we're going to start something today that, and we're going to do it every Sunday. And, and, uh, and this has nothing to do, well, it kind of does have to do with this message. But I just want you to know we're going to start something today. We're going to do it every Sunday. And that is we're going to pray for a need in another church somewhere. There's churches all over the planet that have needs, and we're going to, we're, we're really what we're going to do is we're going to call around our community and see what, what needs different churches have, and we as a body of, of believers, as part of the church, you know, it's not about us, if y'all didn't know that, it's about the kingdom. And so we're going to start that today, and y'all pray with me, I'm going to pray, I want to pray for Eden Church, some of y'all know Eden Church, some of you don't, but they have a, they're going on a mission trip to Kenya next week, and I want us as a family to lift them up. So Lord... We love you today. Lord, we have partnered in different things with Eden Church over the last year or two. They have bought into some of our ministries. We have bought into some of their ministries because at the end of the day, Lord, they're all your ministries. And we're all part of your kingdom. And we're all indwelt with the same Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we lift their, their mission team up that's going to Kenya in a week or so. And we pray that you would bless that team, that, you would, uh, that, that team would, would, would lead people in Africa, in Kenya, that don't know you, to know you, and that their work would be fruitful, crazy fruitful, and you would work in them and through them with the people in Africa. And Lord, we love you and we pray that in Jesus' name. And then there's something else that I want us to, uh, and this is leading in a little bit to Wednesday, but uh, I want to give, give you a little, um, a little bit of a teaser maybe, that we are... I believe about 99, about 99% ready to build a church, physically, a, I mean a building, building church. 
um, down on that land. And that, that, ought to get, that ought to get it. We're going to talk a lot more about that on, uh, on uh, Wednesday night. So I really want you all to come. And when I say we're about 99% uh, there, I mean we're about 99% ready to swing a hammer. I don't mean we're about 99% ready to think about it and pray about it. Obviously, we're going to be praying about it. But I think we're about 99% there. As soon as we can get plans done, I think we're about ready to be swinging hammers. So anyway, come Wednesday and you'll hear more about that. But here's the deal. Today and for the next two or three weeks, we are going to take a detour from this study that we started a few weeks ago uh, on the book of Genesis. And, And today I want us to look, I want to walk through and I want us to look and see what it looks like when God builds his church. And the title of this message in the next few is, are, are, it really is, when God builds his church. And this is something that he has been laying on my heart hard for about a month, even before we started this Genesis thing. Uh, especially in where we are in the life of, of our church, our, li- our little local uh, family of believers called Church on the Trail especially in light of Mike's message, or the Lord's message that he delivered through Mike Fortenberry last week. How many of y'all were here last Sunday? It was rocking. We were on the way back from Lynchburg listening to it, and I thought he was going to be preaching uh, about Mother's Day, and I guess as the pastor of the church, I probably ought to know what people are going to preach when they get up on this stage, but I thought he was going to be talking about Mother's Day, and the Lord thought he was going to be talking about something else, and so he listened to the Lord, and that message was the perfect kind of segue into what we're going to do today and for the next couple of weeks. I think that it is important for all of us to realize what it is that God is doing when He builds a church. Not when men build a church, but when He builds, and not just a church, when He builds His church. It is exciting to see God build His church His way. And it's important, I think, for us, all of us, to recognize what God wants to do with the church. Y'all know the church is not a little, a little building somewhere. The church is the body of believers for all time. That is what he builds. And the only time that a local assembly, a local church, can ever be really what, what God wants that to be is when it makes that commitment. And so we need to, I want us to do that this morning. I want us to, to, to walk through and to reaffirm the basic realities of the church. 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now, if assuming Jesus hadn't come back yet, only God knows what that building down on that land that is not even built yet. Only God knows what that building is going to be 50 or 100 years from now. And all of us have seen churches, church buildings, that, that, uh, that, they're bars now, they're restaurants now, they're shopping centers now, they're, they're, they're what hardware stores, whatever they may be. And so the question is going to become, what are we going to be 50 or 100 years from now? What's that building down there that's not even built yet? What is that building going to be 50 or 100 years from now? We don't know. God knows, but we don't know. But I do know this, what it will be will be based on the commitment that we got to make relative to the truths that I think we're going to hear and talk about this morning. This place, our church on the trail, our body, we can be a place that glorifies God until Jesus comes back, or we can move away from that. we got choices. We can move away from that, and who knows what it's going to become. And it's all predicated on whether or not it is built God's way, according to God's plans, 
with Jesus Christ at the bullseye, with Jesus Christ at the center. And I so I want us, we're going to be mostly in the book of Acts in chapter 2 today, but I want to start us off in Matthew 16. If you've been part of this church family at all over the years, you know that we land on Matthew 16 often, and this is going to be the latter or the middle part of, of verse 18. And here's what it says. And this is Jesus Christ talking, and he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so you have his great statement. He says, I will build my church. And the statement that follows, the, the gates of hell will, will literally not overpower his church. And the gates of hell is a, is a metaphor for, uh, it speaks of Satan and his little scumbag demon angel guys that he's got. And he says, I will build my church and Satan and his, and his legions of demons storming out of the gates of hell to attack it are not going to prevail. And so you listen to that. That is a guarantee. It is a hundred billion percent guarantee. I will build my church and Satan will not destroy it. And there's a condition hidden in the middle of Matthew 16, 18. In the, there's, a, there's a condition hidden in that I will build my church because you see the only way that the church will ever have the guarantee that Satan will not overpower that is when Christ builds it his way. Not our way, not my way, not y'all's way, not some way where we have some vote. We build it his way and there's a guarantee that Satan will never overpower. That's the whole point of that passage. And we're going to be building soon and there's going to be blueprints and there's going to be renderings and there's going to be sets of drawings and plans and all that stuff. And that building has got to be built according to those plans, according to those prints, or we're going to have problems. It's got to be built according to those plans or it won't function the way that it is designed to function. And God has clearly, y'all, laid down a set of prints. He's clearly laid down the plans for the church. And so Jesus said, I will build my church according to those plans. And, and when he says, when my church is built that way, the gates of hell can't stop it. But if we move away from his plan, if we move away from his plan, we forfeit the guarantee that's in Matthew 16. And there's churches all over history that no longer exist because they didn't allow God to build his church, his way, and the guarantee was forfeited. And Satan moved in and they went out of existence. Look at Revelation chapter 3 and verse 1. We see the church in a town called Sardis in, uh, in Asia Minor. And Jesus is writing to the pastor of the church at Sardis in Asia Minor. And he says this, these are sobering words. They're, they're, they're terrifying words actually. He says, verse 1 chapter 3 Revelation, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive but you're dead. This is an active church. This is a wealthy church, y'all. They got all kind of members. Lots of programs, lots of activity. But you're dead. That's what Jesus told them. You are dead. This socially distinguished, highfalutin church with all of its work and all of its labor and all of this, you're dead. That's what he told them. And the reason was that it had left God's blueprint. It's left, it had left God's blueprint. And when the church is not the church that Jesus builds his way, it forfeits the guarantee that Satan will never overpower it. And so I say, if church on the trail, if we're going to be here 50 or 100 years from now, glorifying God, it'll be because we allow Jesus Christ to build 
His church, His way. And that is my prayer for us. That, 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 that the blueprint will never change. That He will always be the focus of what we do. And so, okay, well, okay, what's the blueprint? What does that blueprint kind of look like? What's the blueprint that we have to follow so Jesus can build His church His way and, the, the, and so the gates of hell will never prevail? And it's in Acts chapter 2, uh, verses uh, 41 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And this is the, the, the church that, that Jesus built on the day of Pentecost. First church in history. The very first one. Close to the flame. Born at Pentecost. It's in its infancy. Y'all, this is, pri- this is prime time in Acts chapter 2. When the memory of Jesus was so vivid. It had only been six or seven weeks. Right? Since the crucifixion and the resurrection. His memory was so vivid to those people. The Holy Spirit was brand new just hours after its birth. And you know what? Them people didn't know squat about no church. They didn't have the vaguest idea. They didn't have, they, they didn't have nothing. They didn't have a, a, a church planting website or a podcast like to listen to. They didn't have seminars or conferences or experts to call. They didn't even have a New, new Testament. They had nothing. But you know what they had? They had Jesus Christ at the center of it. Vivid memories from six weeks earlier. They had the Holy Spirit. It just descended. So we say they had nothing, but really they had everything. Because if He is at the center of it, then the gates of hell will never prevail. And so this was a church, this first church born at Pentecost. It was built His way. And so that is our model It's Acts chapter 2. It is a perfect model, a perfect blueprint. Peter stands up to preach at the beginning of of Acts chapter 2 and he preaches an incredible sermon. And as a result, in verse 41, 3,000 people, 3,000 people believed. They received his word and they were baptized. And y'all, that's the blueprint. Now watch this. This guarantee that 50 or 100 years from now, that church on the trail will still be here glorifying God. So look, we're going to have three big points today and then a couple little points underneath it. And really, first big point is this. The blueprint calls for the right content. You should have, I hope everybody's got a worship guide, it's got some fill in the blanks. But it calls for the right content. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves. Who's they? They are the 3,000 plus people. 3,000 that were saved and then about 120 that were there. So you have over 3,000 people. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So there was three or four things that, that made up the life of the church, the actual content, the, 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 the actual things that they did, and these are critical things. Number one, in their, from a content perspective, first of all, they were a redeemed church, and that's a churchy kind of word, redeemed. It just means they were bought back at the end of the day by the blood of Christ. They were a redeemed community. They were believers, It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves. The King James translation says they continued steadfastly. The NIV, the ESV says that they devoted themselves. So you look at this, 3,000 people, y'all believed. 3,000 people were baptized. 3,000 people devoted themselves. All of them together. They were a redeemed community. When Jesus builds his church his way, it's built out of believers. It is built out of believing people. People bought 
by the blood of Christ. And so, y'all, this is where it all, it all begins. If we're going to be anything like this church 2,000 years ago that was born at Pentecost, it'll be because we build it according to Jesus' blueprint. If we're ever going to claim the guarantee in Matthew chapter 16 that Satan cannot stop us, it'll be because we begin with the right content. The right content begins with being a redeemed community. Y'all, our church's DNA since the very beginning of this church family has been no perfect people allowed, and that sounds cliche now maybe, but you know what? It's not cliche. I lead this church with a limp, and I will continue to lead this with a limp because I'm as busted and broken as anybody else. We want to be, we've always wanted to be, and we still want to be an authentic place where broken, saved people can come and heal and grow, and where broken, unsaved people, where broken people that have not said yes to Jesus' offer, where broken people that they may not even know that they're on the radar, but where, where broken people that have, maybe they're searching for the truth. Maybe they're not even searching for the truth. Maybe they're coming because their wife just drug them in. But where broken people that would say they're not Christians, where they can come and feel welcome and not feel judged and not feel condemned and not feel like the whole spotlight is on them. No, that is not, that is not the way that we have ever been and that's not the way that we will ever be. But we want those people to be able to come in here and feel good and feel comfortable and not, and not condemned, get in relationship with people and come to know the Lord and have a personal relationship with Him. So first, we are a redeemed community. And second, the right content of this church was that it was a teaching church. You look at this beautiful entity called the church that was born at Pentecost. It says they devoted themselves first to what? To the apostles' teaching. They were a church that taught the Word of God. The Word of God was not even written as far as the New Testament goes. They didn't even have that. They had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament yet. The apostles' doctrine, it's another churchy word, but the apostles' doctrine was the Word of God, and they devoted themselves to that teaching. That church was built Jesus' way, a redeemed church, committed to teaching the Word of God and learning the Word of God. The church, again, will never be able to claim the guarantee in Matthew 16, 18, if it doesn't teach the Word of God. It has to teach the Word of God. They were a teaching church. There was teaching, and there was learning, and there was application. They were applying the Word of God that the apostles were teaching. I read a book about, I don't know, maybe two, three weeks ago, and it was written by a pastor. And in that book, he wrote, Doctrine is junk. That's what he said. He said, Doctrine is junk. He even said in that book that the pulpit, we'll call this a pulpit, that the pulpit's not a place for teaching. It's a place for grace. Are you kidding me? Is teaching and grace like they can't go together? This whole book, y'all, is about grace. But we got to know it, and we got to learn it, and we got to love it, and we got to apply it to our lives. It doesn't do any good if we don't apply that to our lives. And, and, and look, that church that Jesus built at Pentecost, the first thing he says is they devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' teaching. He only birthed one church. He only built one church from scratch, and that was at Pentecost, and that was a teaching church. And when Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus in the New Testament, 
1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And he wrote them in this order, 1 Timothy and then Titus and then 2 Timothy. Those books, those were Paul's last words, last recorded words in the New Testament. Those were the last books that he wrote that are in the New Testament. They're all about preach the word, teach the word, teach sound doctrine. He's right, 2 Timothy was the last book that he wrote. And he hammers Timothy. Timothy's Paul's delegate in Ephesus. Ephesus was an area, uh, a church um, that was infiltrated by false teaching. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, is, is telling Timothy how to fight that. Well, how do you fight it? With the Word of God. You preach the Word. You teach sound doctrine. He said, don't get into foolish, silly little arguments about stuff that doesn't matter. Feed them sound doctrine. And that doctrine was what? The Gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is encouraging Timothy and Titus to do. You think there's false teaching going on in the world today? It's fault with sound doctrine. It's fault, it's, it, it, it's, it's dominated with the gospel. It's got to be about Christ. And so this church that is built Jesus' way is when it is a redeemed church and it's teaching the word of God. That first church was also, number three, was a fellowshipping church. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and what? To fellowship. They had fellowship. They were together. Fellowship is just us sharing our lives together. Loving on one another. Praying for one another. Edifying one another. Not tearing each other down. Building each other up. Bearing each other's burdens. Exhorting each other. Giving to one another. Serving together. Serving one another. Praying for one another. Look y'all, no matter what. No matter what. You can give and you can serve the people that Jesus crosses your path with. You can. And that is what we're called to do. To serve each other. To serve with each other. To give to each other. Listen, we all, all of us, we have the same eternal life. If we're a believer, we have the same eternal life. We all have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us. We all have the power of the same Holy Spirit. We are all going to spend eternity in the same place. We all serve the same Jesus Christ. We all are part of His church if we are a believer. The same family. And it's time that we all together experience that and shared it. If you just intend to come and sit in lonely isolation, you are just giving away that fellowship. He wants you to have fellowship with other believers. And if you just sit in lonely isolation, you just forfeit that. You just give it away. And then the church will not be built the way that He wants it built. If somebody just stands up here and just bangs away on doctrine, 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 and there's no application, there's no how does that work into my life? How does that play out? If, and if you just sit out there in indifference and in isolation and there's no ministry going on together and there's no serving going on together and there's no giving going on together that will also forfeit the promise that he gives us in Matthew 16 that Satan will never overpower the church God's design is for us to be together it is, it is for us to be together we're better together serving together serving each other this, this beautiful young church man fellowship 
Notice even that the focal point of it is the breaking of bread. And Luke wrote the book of Acts. And Luke's term for communion is the breaking of bread. So whenever you read in Luke or in Acts the breaking of bread, he's referring to communion. And so they broke bread from house to house, celebrating their unity. When we take communion, we're celebrating our unity. We're celebrating our our oneness. The worship team led us in a song, Make Me One. That is what they were talking about. So we're sharing fellowship. We've got to be a fellowshipping church. We've got to be a teaching church. We've got to be a redeemed church. And then the blueprint begins to become right. And when the blueprint is right, the guarantee is valid. Satan will never stop it. And he is going to attack it. It's coming. It's here at the end of the day. He is going to attack it. He's going to attack relationships. He's going to attack a husband and a wife. He's going to attack a wife and a child. He's going to attack a husband and a father and a, and a husband and a son. He's going to attack the message. Promise you that. He's going to attack the messenger. He's going to attack everything. Full on onslaught. That is what he does. Trust me. Trust me. He is going to attack. Matter of fact, I want to pray. Lord, let us all understand that spiritual warfare is just not some hokey thing that we read about in a 2,000-year-old book. Lord, that it is happening. It is happening every day in every church family. It is happening in, every, in husbands and wives, and there is spiritual warfare going on. Lord, my prayer is that, that we would lean on you, that we wouldn't lean on all the junk in the world, that we would lean on you and your power and your Holy Spirit to withstand the attacks of the devil because your promise, Lord, is that he will not overcome it. He will not prevail. And Lord, let us hang on to that. And so then fourth, fourth content-wise is they were a praying church. They devoted themselves, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to prayer. And this prayer here is not really individual prayer. It's really corporate prayer that he's talking about. And when I say corporate, I'm not talking about business. I'm talking about together kind of prayer. And he's talking about like the prayer of a family. We're to be praying together. In corporate worship, we're to be praying together. And that kind of has certain limitations. And so it may be when you're at home and you're praying together with your family. Or if you're in a prayer group where you may meet together. My wife Susan's been part of a group called Prayer Mamas. Prayer Mamas. Started about five or six years ago, is that about right? It's a group of mamas from different churches, y'all. Different physical churches, but the same church. It's his church. It's not our church, it's his church. They all had teenagers kind of at the same time, high school students, college students, and they just got together once a month, and they prayed for their kids, and they prayed for their husbands, and they prayed for their marriages, and they prayed for their families, and they prayed for each other's churches. That's what we're supposed to do. It's what we're supposed to do. We need to recommit ourselves right here and right now to to prayer because prayer is a recognition of our total dependence on the Lord that first church was a praying church and we've got to reaffirm that y'all know right now we changed we made this room a prayer room I just stepped into the dark didn't I how about that I felt it I'm in a church and I stepped into the dark that room over there's a prayer room do y'all know right now there's somebody in there praying Every time we worship together, there will be somebody in there praying for what? Praying for the worship team. Praying for the message. Hey, praying for the messenger. And praying for every warm hiney that's sitting in seats out there. 
every time we worship together, beginning today until Jesus comes back, somebody is going to be in there from our prayer team praying for what goes on here. That ain't hokey, man. Prayer is for real. We need to be a praying church. That first church, that's what they were. And so this content that I'm talking about, they were a redeemed church, they were a teaching church, they were a fellowship in church, and they were a praying church. There's your blueprint. And when any of those things are forfeited, it doesn't meet the specs. And Jesus says, that's not my church. If any of those four things are missing, that's not my church. The, the, the guarantee is voided. And there's plenty of churches, y'all, plenty, 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 that are empty today because they wavered off and away from that blueprint. And the Lord says, I don't approve that church. That's what he said at Sardis. What did he tell them? You're dead. You're dead. He doesn't approve it. And I am not going to allow it. Our leadership in our church is not going to allow it. It's not going to happen. The results, of course, are up to God. But the results, there's a guarantee of the results. If we do it His way, Matthew 16 says, the gates of hell are not going to prevail. And so that's the right content. And if we have the right content... The very next thing takes place, and that's our big point number two, the right character. When a church has the right content, what is it like? Look at verses 43 and following. It says, everyone, who's everyone? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So notice when the, when the content is right, the character is right. You say, well, what was the character of this church? Number one, it was an awesome church. Verse 43 literally says everyone was filled with awe. That word means reverence. It's a word we don't really use today, awe. But it's reverence. It's a word used very specifically in the New Testament and it is reserved for times when people's minds are struck with a, with a holy reverence, with a struck with an awe that's based on something powerful and something divine and something that's maybe beyond their ability to explain maybe or even to handle. And so when the world looked at this church, the, they were filled with awe. They could not believe what they saw. It had the right character. It shocked the world and the world took notice of that. That early church was awesome. Everybody. The whole thing was inexplic inexplicable. Think about it. An incredible thing had happened. One day there was no church. And the very next day there was 3,000 plus people. A shocking community of people who were experiencing God's power together. So they were awesome. They were awesome. Literally, they were awesome. The second thing about this church, its character was not only were they awesome, but they were powerful. Verse 43 says, many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. Don't you know God is still healing people of illnesses today? He is still putting homes together. He is still redeeming broken marriages. He is still redeeming broken relationships between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. He's still bringing people out of drugs. He's still bringing people out of alcohol. He's still bringing people out of a sin-filled life. He's still doing all that stuff. He's still bringing people to the foot of the cross. He's still changing people's business practices. Yesterday they were crooked and today they're honoring the Lord in the way they run their business. He still does that. And the world looks at that and the world says, man, there is some kind of something going on over there in that community of people. So the church was awesome and the church was a powerful, 
powerful things were going on. And then the church, third, the church was loving. They were loving. Verse 44 says all the believers were together. I love that statement. I wish we could stencil that thing up on the wall over there. All the believers were together. We are better together. You know what that means? That's unity. That's unity. Which doesn't mean that we will always agree with each other 100% of the time. Of course it doesn't mean that. But we will handle, when we don't agree with each other, we'll handle it like mature Christians handle it. We don't grab our ball and go to another playground. That's absurd. It's unity. It is unity. That is what the, church, that is what the Acts chapter 2 church did. All the believers were together. They knew the spirit of 1 Corinthians 1.10. That you sort of think the same way. You kind of got the same worldview. You kind of feel the same things. You kind of speak even the same kind of language. You speak the same way. There was love there. There was love and it showed. They had all things in common. In other words, I don't own anything to the exclusion of you. If you have need, here, here, have it, have it. I give it to you. If you have need and I have plenty of supply, here's my supply to fill your need. There was sharing and there was love and there was a servant's heart that was so obvious to the world. They loved each other and they served each other. You think that first church struggled to have people serving in their tops department? I don't think they did. You think they had trouble or struggle having finding people to, to serve in their kids' department? I don't think so. You think they struggled to have people serving at the connections? I don't think so. You think they struggled to find people to help folks park their camels? I don't think so. They didn't. Here, let me park your camel. I mean, they didn't struggle for that. Well, why? Why did they not struggle? They didn't struggle because they knew. They knew, y'all, that they were serving Jesus when they were serving each other. They were serving the Messiah when they served each other. They were serving the Alpha and the Omega when they were serving each other. They knew that they were serving the Lamb of God when they served each other. They knew that they were serving the Lord of Lords when they were serving each other. They knew they were serving the the King of Kings when they were serving each other. They knew that that they were serving the Prince of Peace when they were serving each other. Y'all, you got to know and you got to trust and you have got to believe and feel that you are serving the risen Savior when you hand somebody a worship guide. You are serving Jesus Christ when you change a diaper back there. You are serving Jesus Christ when you pour a cup of coffee for somebody. That is who you're serving when you serve each other. We are all the body of Christ. And so that's what happens when we serve each other and God does something with it. I don't know how He does it. He does something when you serve another human being. It's like it feels good. And if it feels good, you want to do it again. But you can't do it again until you do it once. And so that's what He wants for us to do is to serve each other. Look in verse 46. He says sincere hearts. It says sincere hearts. It says that they continued in verse 46 to meet together. Verse 44 says they have everything in common. You see that unity, that beautiful oneness that has taken place, it comes from love. The church with the right content manifests the right character. They were awesome, they were powerful, they were loving. Now you take that kind of community of people, an awesome, powerful, loving community, and you look at us, church on the trail, and you drop us like that in the middle of Muskogee, Harris, Lee, and Russell County 
as an awesome church, powerful as God's powers displayed among us, full of love and a servant's heart. You know something? You're going to have some results. The church with the right content will have the right character. And lastly, it will manifest the right consequences. Big point number three is that it will manifest the right consequences. Look at verse 46 and 7. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with what? With glad and sincere hearts. Doing what? Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know what the right consequences are to the right character? First of all, it's gladness. Gladness. You can tell a church that has the right content living out the right character because the first consequence is they're going to be joyful people. Joyful people. Joyful, glad people. We should always be full of joy, y'all. Why do you think, somebody holler, why do you think we should be full of joy? This is a simple answer. Did y'all hear that? Because we have Jesus. We are saved. We're saved. We should be full of joy. And joy and happiness are two very different things. Happiness, happiness is, is, is tied to circumstance. Happiness is tied to time and circumstance. Joy is in spite of the circumstance. Joy is, it flies in the face of circumstance. You know, how can someone who's told they have cancer have joy? You know why? Because their Holy Spirit is living inside of them. And it's not tied to circumstance. It's internal. It's an internal peace that says I'm safe and I'm secure because I am in the arms of the one who created me. 24-7, I am sitting on the lap of the one that created me. And so that's what's happening in this church. They were full of joy because of all the right things. Their joy was because they were redeemed. Their joy was because they were learning the truths of God. Their joy was because they were teaching the truths of God, because they were teaching the gospel. They were teaching sound doctrine in Paul's words. Their joy was because they were applying that word to their lives. Their joy was because they were making an impact in the world that they were in. Their joy was because they loved each other and they served each other. Their joy was because God was at work in their lives and in the life of their church. The church should be full of joy. That's the first consequence. Second, not only did they have joy, they had praise. They were praising God, verse 47 says. Another consequence of that church living the right way is that the church will be a praising church. More and more and more I get convinced every Sunday and I get more committed to the fact that our music and our worship should just be praise to God. Praise, gratefulness, thankfulness that is... It emanates from a joyful heart that, that has nothing to do with what is going on in our life at that moment. Because we may be going through a terrible storm. But I'm going to praise God in that too. Because you know why? He's going to bring me through that. He's going to bring me through it. Look at that. Hallelujah is dang right. Look at Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the middle of the fire. The king looks in and says, what did we put three people in that fire? But I see four people in there. He will walk through the fire with you if you are redeemed. It is a guarantee. He will walk through the fire with you. And so this church was full of joy. And this church was full of praise. Final, last point, final consequence is this. They were an attractive church. And I don't mean they just look good. That's not what I'm saying. 
They were an attractive church. Why? Because folks are getting saved. That's why they're an attractive church. You can't be the same on this side of being saved as you were on this side of being saved. Now, you may just be a little different, but you've got to be growing to be a lot different. They were attractive because folks are getting saved. I asked Dan Brim one time, who is in the midst of the fire right now. I asked Dan Brim. Y'all know Dan wears the ugly Alabama houndstooth long <laughs> pants and the cowboy hat. And I asked him one time about five years ago, because every day, every Sunday, Dan walks in and he puts earplugs in. And I said, Dan, I finally worked up the muster to ask him. I said, like, like, why are you here? Which is not probably what somebody should say, but I'm like, like, why are you here? I said, it can't be the music. He said, no, I hate the music. I said, and he, oh, and he said, no, I hate the music. And he said, and the messages are okay, which was funny too. Um, he said, well, I said, well, why are you here? He said, because people get saved. I mean, you think about that. That's a 72-year-old man who's coming to a church with flat-out rock and roll music going on. And it's attractive because people are getting saved. That is what, that is what his church does. It leads people to the cross. It leads people to the cross. And so you call that growth. Maybe you call that growth. And, 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 and it's not growth to put warm hind ends in seats. There's enough of that church kind of stuff going on. It, growth is not putting warm bodies in seats. Growth is doing things to lead those warm bodies to end up in heaven. That is growth. That is growing His church. I hope you all get that. It's a, those are two very different things. And so, um, what does he say? What does Luke say in, in Acts, in verse 47? He says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Well, why? Because their lifestyle was in favor with all the people. They were a growing church. How often did the Lord add to their, to their body? Daily, the text says. Listen, my prayer for church on the trail is that we grow daily. This church in Acts had 5,000 people in chapter 4 and they had 20,000 people in chapter 6. And that's the way the church ought to grow. 20,000 believers. I get that. 3,000 believers, 4,000 believers, 20,000 believers. The church grows exponentially. The church grows when people are in relationship with each other, serving each other. The church doesn't grow if you're sitting out there on your hands and not being involved. You know, that's not the way the church grows. The church grows when people, believers together, and you go have lunch with somebody, and you talk about stuff, and you share life with each other. And you know something? The church will grow that way, and the gates of hell can't stop church on the trail from growing. If we have the proper content, and display and manifest the right character, God will bring the proper consequences and this church will exist till Jesus comes back, glorifying the Lord. And that, y'all, that is my prayer. That is my prayer. I hope that that is y'all's prayer too. We need to be on our knees praying for each other and for this body of believers. Remember the first thing that he says in verse 42 is that they devoted themselves and they continued steadfastly. Well, what did they continue in? They continued because they were a redeemed, believing body of folks. And so that's the first step. If you're here today and you have never done that, it ain't, ain't, that, it ain't that difficult. 
the Lord wants to save you. You got it. You got to know that you're broken. I mean, you can't be found if you ain't lost. And so, if that is you today, it is simple. It's I repent of my sins and I believe. What do I believe? What's the content of my belief that Christ died on that cross to buy me back? That is it. And so I would I would encourage you to take that step today and be part of this body. And if you're not part of this body, be part of a body somewhere. Be part of a body somewhere. And our prayer team is back there and they would love to pray with you, pray for you, pray with you, listen, offer you a shoulder, whatever that may be. But take that step today and say yes to that offer. Because that offer is always there and we don't know what happens tomorrow. We don't.